In 2 Samuel 5, we will watch David make Jerusalem his capital. Jerusalem is an amazing city. If you ever get a chance to go there, a million people are packed into this small place. And the reason is, is because it's a special city. It's a place that God said he would write his name forever. We'll look at the city of the great king today on Walk in Truth. Welcome to Walk in Truth with Michael Lance. Walk in Truth is a ministry of Living Truth Christian Fellowship. It's our goal to build up believers and to reach out with God's truth to all people. And now, here's Pastor Michael. As you look at the Jebusites, the inhabitants of the land, some people look at this and they look at the Bible account and they say, what right does David have to go up and take this spot? Who does he think he is to, you know, the, the Jebusites are there. You could say, it's their land. What's he doing going into their land? Everybody turn to your Bibles to Genesis 15. Genesis 15. So this is the chapter where God makes an unconditional covenant with Abram. He's made an incredible promise that he'll have all these descendants, that they will outnumber the stars of the sky, Genesis 15. God cuts the covenant. Uh, it's all based upon God. In fact, Abram's asleep when all of this is taking place. And here's what God says. This is Genesis 15, 18. On that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram, Genesis 15, 18. And he said, to your descendants, I have given this land from the river of Egypt, as far as the great river, the river Euphrates, the Kenite, the Kenizzite, the Cadmonite, the Hittite, this is verse 20, the Perizzite, the Rephaim, the Amorite, the Coronite, oh, I'm sorry, no, that's, a, that's the Canaanite, the Girgashite, everybody mark this, and what? The Jebusite. Now, who was in the land of Jerusalem? The Jebusites. God had made a promise, get this, way back when God made this unconditional covenant with Abram, who then would birth Isaac, and then Jacob, and Jacob would be renamed Israel. Early on, he said, look, you've got this land. It's given to your descendants. Look at verse 18, Genesis 15. It's from the river of Egypt as far as the great river Euphrates. And then he names all these people groups that are there. And he says, look, you're going to have all of it, including the area of the Jebusites. Now, another scripture to your right is the book of Exodus, the next book, 23. Exodus 23, Moses has led the children of Israel, out of Egypt. They're going to take the promised land. We all know that that didn't go very well, right? They circled the desert for 40 years and would not obey God. Exodus 23, look at verse 23. God says, my angel, 23, 23, will go before you, bring you into the land of the Amorites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, the Canaanites, the Hivites, and who? the Jebusites, and I will completely destroy them. You shall not worship their gods, nor serve them, nor do according to their deeds, but you shall utterly overthrow them and break their sec sacred pillars in pieces. So David, if you go back to 2 Samuel, now to your right, is going to take this land of Jerusalem. By the way, he's going to do what Israel failed to do. I think if you study the book of Joshua, you will find that the Israelites had some success in this area, but did not fully conquer this area and, and really didn't even fully conquer the promised land. And we know why. 
because they imbibed the ways of the people. They were enamored with idols and idolatry. They did not fully carry out what God said to do. And God had promised the land. It was the promised land. And by the way, it includes a huge area that's under debate right now. And David goes up. And David's going to do what Israel failed to do in many ways, also typifying Jesus, who does for Israel what they failed to do. He becomes a light to the Gentiles. He's baptized in the Jordan, not for his own sake, but to retrace the fallen footsteps of Israel, to fulfill all righteousness, to die on the cross, to defeat the devil. And David, verse 7, captured the stronghold of Zion, 2 Samuel 5, 7. That is the city of David. This was the city's fortress or citadel. When you see stronghold of Zion there, perhaps the well-fortified city itself. Located on the southeastern ridge of later the city of Jerusalem, it was the ridge overlooking the Kidron Valley. It was originally known as Zion. So you'll notice in verse 7, it calls it the stronghold of Zion. A lot of you have read your Bibles and you, you wonder, What's with Zion and Jerusalem and Mount Zion and all these what seem to be interchangeable names for the same area? It's because the mountain was actually called, or at least a portion of it, was called Zion. You can reference uh, 1 Kings 8.1, the city of David, which is Zion. Zion will become a name that is mentioned often in the Psalms and Prophets. This is partly because the name was taken and applied to the hill on the north side of the city of Solomon's day where the temple was built. Mount Zion came to refer to the temple mount or Mount Moriah. This is all synonyms for the same area of the world. God always had his eye on this area. This is always a city that was part of his heart that he wanted to set up shop, if you will. And God's promises revolve around Zion. I'm gonna take you through just a few Psalms. Go to your right, Psalm 2. Psalm 2. Psalms are in the middle of your Bible, pretty much. Psalm chapter 2. Here's what God says. He's talking about the coming king, and he says in verse 6 of Psalm 2, but as for me, Psalm 2, 6, I have installed my king upon Zion, my holy mountain. I will surely tell, Psalm 2, 7, of the decree of the Lord. He said to me, Thou art my son, today I have begotten thee. Ask of me, and I will surely give the nations as thine inheritance. By the way, in the future, we'll see the nations streaming to Jerusalem as Jesus rules with a rod of iron. The nations is thy inheritance. The very ends of the earth is thy possession. Thou shalt break them with a rod of iron. Thou shalt shatter them like earthenware. Now, therefore, O king, show discernment. Take warning, O judges of the earth. Worship the Lord with reverence and rejoice with trembling. Do homage to the son, lest he become angry, and you perish in the way, for his wrath may soon be kindled. How blessed are all who take refuge in him. Turn over to Psalm 48. We're looking at this uh, idea of Zion being part of the, the holy mountain. Psalm 48 is a psalm of the sons of Korah, and this is how it reads. Psalm 48, look at verse 1. It says, Great is the Lord, and greatly to be praised. In the city of our God, his holy mountain. Psalm 48, 2. Beautiful in elevation, the joy of the whole earth is Mount Zion in the far north, the city of the great king. God in her palaces has made himself known as a stronghold. 
If you skip down to verse 11 of the same Psalm, 48, 11, it says, let Mount Zion be glad. Let the daughters of Judah rejoice because of thy judgments. Walk about Zion. Go around her, count her towers. Consider her ramparts. Go through her palaces that you may tell it to the next generation. For such is God, our God forever and ever. He will guide us until death. In Psalm 50, verse two, this is a Psalm of Asaph and it says these words. One and two says, the mighty one God, the Lord has spoken. Summon the earth from the rising of the sun to its setting. Out of Zion, the perfection of beauty, God has shown forth. And flip over to Psalm 84. Psalm 84. This is the final one we'll look at, although we could do more, but Psalm 84, verse 5, says these words. Psalm 84, verse 5. How blessed is the man whose strength is in thee, and in whose heart are the highways to Zion. Passing through, 84.6, the valley of Baca. They make it a spring. The early rain also covers it with blessings. They go from strength to strength. Every one of them appears before God in Zion. O Lord, God of hosts, hear my prayer. Give ear, O God of Jacob, Selah. That means pause, ponder. Think about it. It's a pause in the, in the song. Behold our shield, O God. Look upon the face of thine anointed. For in... For a day in thy courts is better than what? A thousand outside. I would rather stand at the threshold of the house of my God than dwell in the tents of wickedness. Better is one day in your courts than a thousand elsewhere. This is the place. This is the city. Back to 2 Samuel 5. The city of God. God's king now establishing the picture of the coming king and kingdom. Just write, that, write this down for your notes. Hebrews 12.22 says, But you have come to Mount Zion, to the city of the living God, to the heavenly Jerusalem, and to myriads of angels. This city is our city. It's in our heart. In fact, if you've ever had a chance to go to Jerusalem, uh, to go to Israel and see Jerusalem, it's a thrilling experience. But there's going to be a new Jerusalem. There's going to be a place where righteousness dwells and where it's going to be a city of peace and a city of blessing. Peter says, this is contained in scripture. Behold, I lay in Zion a choice stone, a precious cornerstone, and he who believes in him shall not be disappointed. First Peter 2, 6. And then Revelation 14, 1 says, I looked and behold, the lamb was standing on Mount Zion and with him 144,000 having his name in the name of his father, written on their foreheads. So here's David. He comes to the city. The city is not looking forward to his arrival because they know he wants to take the city. This is 2 Samuel 5, verse 8. And David said on that day, whoever would strike the Jebusites, let him reach the lame and the blind who are hated by David's soul through the water tunnel. Therefore they say, the blind or the lame shall not come into the house. Now, this has gotten all kinds of speculation. But here's what I think is going on. I think David is taunting the Jebusites for taunting him. I think perhaps at some point they sent a messenger or they maybe yelled down to David and his army, the blind and the lame will keep you out of here. You're nothing. You can't touch us. And I think David retorted with, oh yeah? 
Well, here we go. We're going to deal with the blind and the lame. And I think what he was saying was, we'll deal with the Jebusites. I think this is a taunt back to their taunt. They said, well, there's no way you can get up here. Our city's defenses are too good. Hey, folks, I've been telling you about different ways that you can connect with Walk in Truth. And one of the ways you can do it through modern technology is download the Radio Scribe app and search for Walk in Truth. There you'll have access to all kinds of cool resources, including one thing I'm going to highlight today, which is a devotional. It's a video devotion I've done on, will God give you any more than you can handle? Question mark. I'm sure you've had that question. It's a five minute video devotion. It'll bless you. You can refer friends to it and hopefully it'll help you with your walk. Download the Radio Scribe app, search for Walk in Truth and check out the devotion today. God bless you. There's going to be a place where righteousness dwells and where it's going to be a city of peace and a city of blessing. Peter says, this is contained in scripture. Behold, I lay in Zion a choice stone, a precious cornerstone, and he who believes in him shall not be disappointed. First Peter 2, 6. And then Revelation 14, 1 says, I looked and behold, the lamb was standing on Mount Zion and with him 144,000 having his name and the name of his father written on their foreheads. So here's David. He comes to the city. The city is not looking forward to his arrival because they know he wants to take the city. This is 2 Samuel 5, verse 8. And David said on that day, whoever would strike the Jebusites, let him reach the lame and the blind who are hated by David's soul through the water tunnel. Therefore they say the blind or the lame shall not come into the house. Now, this has gotten all kinds of speculation. But here's what I think is going on. I think David is taunting the Jebusites for taunting him. I think perhaps at some point they sent a messenger or they maybe yelled down to David and his army, the blind and the lame will keep you out of here. You're nothing. You can't touch us. And I think David retorted with, oh, yeah? Well, here we go. We're going to deal with the blind and the lame. And I think what he was saying was, we'll deal with the Jebusites. I think this is a taunt back to their taunt. They said, well, there's no way you can get up here. Our city's defenses are too good. The city's impressive defense made them sure that David would not be able to come in. They didn't even think they needed a military defense against him. But David suggested they go up through this water tunnel. Excavations on Mount Zion have revealed a water shaft known today as Warren Shaft that would have been difficult but not impossible to climb. It leads into the city from the Gihon Springs down the Kidron Valley outside the city walls. Perhaps they were also uh, referring to the water supply that David was going to try to cut off from the inhabitants. This was a form of war, and David was going to take the city because this was supposed to be Israel's city from the beginning. The Jebusite shouldn't have been there anyway. And so it was time for a battle. By the way, let me just say to you that I don't think that David was saying anything derogatory about people who struggle with disabilities. After all, he invited Mephibosheth into his house who was what? He was lame. David had the heart of Jesus in many ways, not perfectly, but Jesus came into the temple. Matthew 21, 14 says, and the blind and the lame came to him in the temple and he healed them. When the chief priests and scribes saw the wonderful things that he had done, and the children who were crying out in the temple saying, Hosanna to the son of David, they became indignant. 
Jesus was healing people left and right, including the blind and the lame. This is more about a war kind of taunting back and forth that is happening here. And uh, excuse me, David suggested that they go through the water tunnel. We don't have a lot about the battle, but here's what we do have. David lived, verse 9, in the stronghold and called it the city of David. There's an old city down below, or down below the mountain, the uh, Temple Mount today called the city of David or the old city. And David built all around it from the Milo and inward. David is now planted in the city of God. And I think our narrator wants us just to pause for a second. Just take a breath. Everybody breathe for a second. This is the city of God. So later, this model of the temple would be built by David's son, and his name is Solomon. Solomon will actually come through Bathsheba, and we'll get to that story about how David will blow it and commit adultery and murder and all of that. But this city is going to have this edifice. And if you just look up at the screen for a second, this is a model of the edifice, but it, it was an incredible structure. And what you're looking at mainly here is the holy place and the holy of holies, the, the inner sanctum, if you will, the place where the children of Israel would descend three times a year to worship the Lord in spirit and in truth. Now, we do know that worship was not perfect here. But this is where God said, you will come and meet me. This would be the center of the world. You might ask questions like, why does anybody even care about Israel today? Why do they care about Israeli-American relations or, for that matter, relationships with anybody who deals with Israel? Because this place, even though it's a small sliver of land in the Middle East, God has written his heart and his name there forever. So David built it all around. The Milu, Milo, uh, verse uh, nine, probably refers to a stone embankment that was embankment that was built on the southeastern side of the mount to support additional buildings and a wall. Archaeologists have uncovered what they call a stepstone or terrace structure. It's about fifteen hundred feet long and nine hundred feet wide that was supporting uh, terrace for other structures, and they assume this was what's considered the Milo that's mentioned in verse nine. So. David began to build up, build up the area. He began to prepare it, if you will, for the palace and worship spaces, verse 10. And David became greater and greater. For the Lord, the God of hosts, that refers to the heavenly powers of the, the armies of the angels at his disposal, was with him. Why did David become greater and greater? Simply because God was with him. Verse 11. Then Hiram, the king of Tyre, other kings were even taking notice. He's this king in the north now, sent messengers to David with cedar trees and carpenters and stone masons. And they built a house for David. And David realized that the Lord had established him as king over Israel and that he had exalted his kingdom for the sake of his people, Israel. You ever had one of those realization moments? You ever surveyed your life? Maybe examined the blessings that God has bestowed upon you for decades with family, children, ministry. I reflect quite often on what God's done here. Tonight we're going to reflect on a decade of God's blessings. To God be the glory. He has done great things. The only reason we're here in this building is because King Hiram 
sent stonemasons. No, I'm just kidding. It didn't, it didn't happen. We did hire a contractor. But you know what? God has been good. And we should take moments. Some, some writers have called them snapshots of our lives. And we should count our blessings one by one to see what the Lord has done. Amen? Amen. Don't let life pass you by without counting your blessings. Ingratitude is not a good reflection for a culture or for God's people. Let me say that one more time. Ingratitude is not a great reflection of a culture or God's people. And I'll tell you this. Today, I look at our culture and we live in many ways in an entitled culture. Would you agree? And I think if we're going to figure out where we need to get as a people, what needs to happen for our city, our cities that we live in to be recaptured for God, can I say to you, there's only going to be one answer. We can talk about the mindset of people and, and we can have all the political debates, but until my people who are called by my name humble themselves and pray, seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, it's not going to happen. But when it does happen, I will hear from heaven. I will forgive their sin and I will do what? I will heal their land. We need healing. But we need healing in the most important place of our lives, in our souls. Now, David had a moment of realization and I think we all need to just pause just for a second. And I'm sure you've got some blessings to count. You may be in a tough season, but look, We've got some blessings to count. Other kings were paying attention. They come and build a house for David. Hiram, by the way, would be around even to Solomon's day. And it's probable, says one author, that the foreign influences that eventually corrupted Solomon's kingdom included influences from Tyre. Notice what happens now. So we know God's done the work. It wasn't Joab. It wasn't Abner. It wasn't anybody who was trying to help David along. But meanwhile, back at the palace, as we sum up this message, David did something that he shouldn't have done. And this shows you his humanness, and it's setting the stage for what we'll see in the coming chapters. David is not a perfect foreshadowing of the Messiah because he took more concubines and wives from Jerusalem. It may imply Jebusites. After he came from Hebron, and more sons and daughters were born to David. The king was not to multiply wives to himself, but David did it. He disobeyed God, and he would pay a very serious price for it. Now these, as the writer wants to pause and just tell us about David's family, and we'll close with this and pick it up in verse 17 next time. Now these are the names of those who were born to him in Jerusalem. Shemua, Shobab. These are two important names, Nathan and Solomon. Uh, J. Vernon McGee says these words, from the line of Nathan came Mary, the mother of Jesus. From Solomon came Joseph, Mary's husband. The Lord Jesus Christ received the bloodline and the legal title to the throne of David through Nathan and Solomon. That is the reason the information is recorded for us here, close quote. Also born to him are Ibhar, verse 15, Elishua, Nepheg, Japhia, Elishama, Eli Ada and Eli Follett. And then we'll, we'll pick this up next time. But just to set the stage, the Philistines heard that they had anointed David king over Israel and all the Philistines went up to seek David. By the way, this is not a friendly seeking. 
And when David heard of it, he went down to the stronghold. He's about to have war. The city of peace is going to become a city of war again and again and again. Until, please hear this well, the world is going to be at war until the Prince of Peace comes. His name is Jesus. You are going to be at war with your maker until the Prince of Peace sits on the throne of your heart. That's where it starts. He wants to be enthroned in your heart. He wants to be the king of your family, the king of your walk, the king of your business, the king of your eyes, the king of your actions. He wants to have lordship in your life. And he says, look, make me Lord. Seek first my kingdom and my righteousness, and I will add all these other things to you that you stress out about and worry about. Can I get a witness? Anybody a stressor out there? What's going to happen? What's going to happen? Right? Throw it into the fire, man. He's on the throne. It's his kingdom. He's the king of kings and the Lord of lords. And when we decide to get serious about his kingship, everything else falls into place. Father, we pray over the city of Las Vegas right now. We pray over our city. We pray over Southern California. California is a state which is in many ways in deep trouble. And Father, we look at our nation right now. We look at the church in the nation. And Lord, in many, many ways, we have to repent of a lot of things. You say judgment begins in your house. We know you are kind and benevolent and gracious, and you don't deal with us according to our sins. If you did, we wouldn't even be here. But Lord, we know that you are asking that we be holy as you are holy. We know that you want us to be a city set upon a hill, a light to our neighbors. Forgive us in the ways that we have failed. But Lord, thank you in the ways that you've given us success. Thank you for how this fellowship and many like it have reached out with your love on the streets and the schools, through the radio, on the mission field, through ministries, through benevolence, through acts of kindness, through ministry to children. And Lord, there are so many people in our city. There's like 160,000 people here that are not in church this morning they haven't been reached with the light of the gospel. They don't know the king. And so they don't know what to do. But Lord, help us to preach the message of hope, to be ambassadors of hope as though you were pleading through us to be representatives of the king and the kingdom. Thank you that you, you give us grace when we fail. But Lord, empower your church to rise up. It's an old hymn of the church that says, rise up, O men of God, had have done with lesser things. Oh, Lord, we need to rise up. Help us, Father. Let it start with us. Hey, folks, I'm excited to tell you about another way that you can connect with Walk in Truth. Download the Radio Scribe app and search for Walk in Truth. There you'll find a lot of cool resources. You'll be able to listen to messages. You can access devotionals. And you can partner with Walk in Truth and help us reach more people. Download the Radio Scribe app, 
Search for Walk in Truth and find a lot of cool resources there. I know it'll be a blessing to you. God bless you. Thanks for listening to Walk in Truth. Pastor Michael would love to hear from you. You can write him when you visit walkintruth.com.